Amen. Amen. We'll continue tonight in our expository teaching through the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, if you want to get there with me. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to uh, begin with verses uh, 13 through 21. We're going to kind of have a, kind of pull that together tonight. Uh, how many of you feel that you're in a time of transition? <laughs> That's, what a reaction there. <laughs> you don't know whether to laugh or whether to cry. Uh, folks, that's good. You don't have enough arms. You can throw a foot up in the air, a couple of toes. Folks, you know what? That's a good thing. I believe that we're in that time. I think about in the, the Gospel of Matthew, when he talks about, even in the last days, he talks about just the, the situation, and he likens it to birth pains. And so, you know, when someone is is, is going to have a child, there's, there's, there's something that begins to happen. Their, 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 their physical body begins to prepare for that birth. And there's a there's a, there's a transition that takes place because if it didn't take place, it would be difficult for the, for the woman and for the child to be born. So there's a, there's a physiological change that takes place. And folks, the same thing happens uh, with you in the body of Christ. When God is going to birth something out of your life, there's got to become a change. And I think sometimes what hinders people from, from really moving over, uh, moving forward in the things that God wants uh, for them is just a refusal to allow God to make those changes. And so I, I guarantee if anyone here in, in, in this place tonight, if there's been times that you, you, you got frustrated, you got there's times that you just wanted to give up, it was probably in the middle of change. Those times. You know what's so interesting when I, I look at the, the Word of God? I think about when John the Baptist showed up. Not, not this John, the, the Apostle John, but John the Baptist when he came in as that forerunner to Christ Jesus. You know, he comes in and he's introduced to us right there in that third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, in those days came John, preaching out of the wilderness of Judea. You know, he, he had gone out. Now, this is the same John that was raised in the house of the priest. And so at some point in his life, from, from the, we, we don't really have a record of it, but we, we know who his folks were. We know about you know him leaping in his, his mother's womb when, when, when Mary came close and Jesus was in her. We, we, we know all of that. But we don't know a whole lot about that trans, transition that took place in his life. But something happened. Why? Because, you know what? He could have rejected what God was doing at that moment and fell right in line with all the other Pharisees, fell right in line with that religious order. Consider who John was just for a second. That's who he was. But something happened that took him willfully out into a wilderness place. Now, it didn't say he went kicking and screaming. It said he just adapted to it. How did he adapt? Well, when he showed back up, you know, he was uh, wearing camel hair and, you know, eating, you know, locusts and, and wild honey. He, he adapted and he didn't reject it and say anything negative about it. But when he came back, what did he have? He had that message. And he told him, he said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Now, folks, if there was one message that, that really summarizes the, 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 the message of, of the new covenant, is that one right there. You say, well, why is that? Well, because it's a change. Because that word repent doesn't just mean I feel bad about something and, and I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That's just wanting forgiveness because you got hit caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Repentance literally means the moral compunction to think differently. I'm transitioning my way of thinking from what it was to what it is. Now, for John, obviously, he, he got brought up within that priestly order. And so he had to learn a way of thinking. It was all external. Now, some of you here, you'd admit it, just like I probably would that you remember that time in your life when you were a Christian externally. 
But internally, you knew you were the, just like the, the, the world that, that, that you thought you came out of. Now, folks, I remember that in my life. People told me I was saved. Now, I thought to myself, well, they know something that I don't know. Because my heart doesn't bear witness with, with, with the Spirit of God that I'm a child of God. They pat you on the back because you learned the memory verse in Sunday school. Or they pat you on the back because you got good grades in school. And pat you on the back because you weren't out you know, doing drugs. And so you must be a Christian. No, you just learned a socially uh, acceptable moral standard, at least when people were watching. But the rest of the time, what was going on in your heart and mind had never been changed. So John shows up on the scene and he tells them, guys, it's time for a transition. It's time to transition from what was outward to something that's inward. And they rejected him. Now, what was the key there? Because the kingdom is at hand. Because the influence, the realm that, that is influence that comes under uh, subjectivity of the hand of God is now. Folks, i got news for you. It's still now. You hear me? The kingdom is still at hand. The kingdom is within reach. If you want to begin to see those things that, that, that you heard promised to you years ago, the kingdom's at hand. If you want to see the fulfillment of those things that God showed you and spoke to you in the night watches, maybe that time where he took you in a time of, of intercession and prayer and fasting, and you said, God, it's there. Folks, the kingdom is at hand. But see, just because the kingdom's at hand doesn't mean you're going to walk into that. Why? Because sometimes, unless you change the way you think, unless you see a change in that paradigm, and that, that way of approaching and seeing things, you, you still find yourself at arm's length. Folks, it happens throughout the Word of God. You take Moses... Called out. Here he was raised and called the, 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 the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Raised up in a certain way of thinking. Raised up with a, uh, with a, with a certain paradigm, uh, 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 an outlook on things. Raised up with the best education. But where did he find himself? Out on the backside of the wilderness, tending sheep. He found himself 40 years going through a shift. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait 40 years to see the promises of God fulfilled. Unfortunately, some of you may have done that. You've waited 10, 15, 20, 30 years waiting for the manifestation of that, and you're still just out there with the shepherd's staff saying, when is this going to come to an end? You look at that, you look at David when when when, when Samuel came into the house of Jesse. You know, he, he came to, to anoint him king, but he didn't come with a crown. He came with a horn of oil. He said, David, there's got to come a time where you've got to change it to where you think. I'm going to put you through some things. I'm going to have you running for your life. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have you killing uh, uh uh, uh, giants and lions and bears. I'm going to have you leading people. Because before I set you on a throne and put the, 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 the crown upon your head and then you seat upon a throne that my son one day is going to set upon, I've got to change the way that you think. Paul the Apostle even, once he had that Damascus Road experience, we think he just uh, jumped right in. We think that the book of Acts happened in three hours just because you can read it three hours. But from the time of his Damascus Road experience to the time he was formally introduced to the the, the other apostles at Jerusalem, 14 years. There was a change in the way that he thought. And folks, you know who's the, the instrument behind all that? It's the same Holy Spirit that was the instrument behind those things then that is now. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight is, is embracing the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit to do that work that he wants to do in and of your life and not just the work that we want him to do in and of our lives. In 1 John chapter 4, Verses 13 through 21. He says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So they say, Amen. Amen. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God that God hath to us. God is love, 
And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness. Somebody say boldness. We have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's good news, isn't it? Because fear has torment, but he that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him. Anybody love him? Yes. Why? Because he first loved us. It wasn't my idea. I didn't go looking for him. He sought me out while I was running from him. In the, in the, in, in the same capacity that I was fleeing, he, he, he had a bead on me. He sought me out. And verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he say that he loves God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. Folks, tonight we're going to continue, like I said, this, this study of 1 John. What we're going to do is take a closer look at that person of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, undoubtedly, most of you, in one way or another, on some level, none of us can escape this. Every one of us are in that position of transition. Because why do I say that? Because we're moving from faith to faith. Do you have faith? Do you want to stay at that level of faith? Or do you want to move from faith to faith? If you experience the glory of the Lord, then we move from what? We move from glory to glory. And so there's a transition because, if, folks, if you're not growing, if you're not transitioning from, from one point to the next, you know what you're doing? You're dying. Folks, I've been in churches, I was going to say around this nation, I've been churches around this world that are dead because they refuse to transition from life to life. That's what they refuse to and so what they do is they build a monument to what was. They build a monument to, to some distant memory. And so they, they, they continue to sacrifice things to it. Now, they're not sacrificing uh, uh, their children like to Molech. They're not sacrificing. Well, they, sometimes they are. They're sacrificing a generation to, to Molech. They're not sacrificing things in the, in the natural. But what are they sacrificing? They're sacrificing a move in the hand of God in their midst. Why? Because they're holding on to the nostalgia of what was. Folks, but that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to transition us to another way of thinking constantly. That way we're constantly growing in the faith towards Him. So the reason uh, that I want to talk about this tonight is because there's two prevailing schools of thought concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. And neither one of them, I believe, that you'll see in this prevailing school of thought really biblically or accurately describes or, or gives us a, a reason to understand who He is. And I'm going to give you the first, and, and, and I'm going to give you my terminology for these schools of thought. So write these down. The first one is the I really don't know school of thought. The I really don't know school of thought on the Holy Spirit. Now, nobody will say that, but that's really what they mean. And this school of thought, really what it is, is this one acknowledges the Holy Spirit. It uses the term Holy Spirit. It even may have some descriptive words, but it really has no idea what should be attributed to it. Now, you meet religious people all the time that say, you believe in, in the, the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if you're a spirit-filled person, you, you can really mess them up. I say, you believe in the Holy Ghost. Whoa, I don't believe in ghosts, man. You know, they've got something so spooky to them. But they just have the, I don't know. Now, you ask an average Christian and maybe a mainline denomination or maybe even a spirit-filled church, well, tell me a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, uh. And they strike and pause because they really don't know. That's the, I really don't know school of thought. Now, here's the second school of thought that, most of us are probably a little bit more uh, familiar with. This is the Holy Spirit is like my puppy school of thought. So most people fall into the I really don't know school of thought or the Holy Ghost is like my puppy school of thought. And here's what I mean by that. This one claims to have a great insight of the Holy Spirit 
And they'll often say stuff like this. Oh, there's the Holy Ghost. There's the Holy Spirit. There he is. There's the anointing. There's the Spirit of God. When something stirs their senses. And so if it stirs your senses or somebody sings a song and you get chill bumps, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you say it's the Holy Spirit? Because it made me feel something. Folks, I've heard lost people sing the national anthem at football games and get chills. Period. Why? Because it stirred something in my soulish man. It stirred something. Does that mean the Holy Spirit can't do that? I don't mean that at all. But that's certainly not the litmus test to decide whether or not something's the Holy Spirit. Or we say, well, that, uh, at least I call it the, 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 the Holy Spirit's like a little pet puppy is because, you know, if we, we feel like we get our, our hand licked by a puppy dog, that means, oh, man, that dog really likes me. Well, that dog just does that instinctively. He don't know what to do. He may think you have a biscuit or something in your hand. He wants to buy that. And so this, this view largely views the Holy Spirit as the one member of the Godhead that we're controlling, we, that we are in control of. Period. How many of you think that you're in control of God? That you can tell God what to do? Anybody in here think that? Uh -uh. How many of you think that you can uh, tell God the Son, Jesus Christ, what to do? Nobody does it. But isn't it funny when it comes to the Holy Spirit? We think we're in charge so many times. We think we're the one calling the church. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We'd never say that. We'd never admit to that. But so many times we think we're the ones that are telling him when to show up. We're telling him how to, when to move. We're telling him when to speak. We think that that's the one member of the Godhead that we can control, just like you would control a little puppy. You just go grab him by the nap of the neck, and you put him in whatever corner you want. If he's yapping, you put him behind the door. If he's hungry, you just feed him, and that's all you got to do. And so that's the one that we can control from the, from the standpoint that we can dictate his actions, yet... We have to be careful around him because, you know, he's really quite skittish. You know, you know how the Holy Spirit is. He's really skittish. And, and anything from a from a crime or a little child, that'll scare the Holy Spirit away from you. You know, if they're little kids over here, man, they get a little bit out of road. Man, that the Holy Spirit, oh, he's grieved because of that. I got news for you. He's not grieved because of that. You may be perturbed because of somebody getting up and going to the restroom or somebody knocking something over. Or something. But you know what? The Holy Spirit don't care. You know why? Because he's seen it all. He moves in the midst. He said, where sin abounds, his grace, his influence of his spirit is much more abounds. And so don't think that he's like a scared little puppy that if you work wrong, that you're going to grieve him or he's going to run out of the room and he's not going to move. He's not that type. Or, or somebody hitting a bad note on the piano. Oh, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he lifted. Folks, we, we really think we're in that type of control of the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm talking about? And here's why, because 1 John 4.13 says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And so if we're saying that, we need to know who is dwelling inside of us and just exactly what can accurately expect to happen in regards to that, that, that relationship. Because if we think he's that one that we can't define, we don't know what to expect. If we think he's that one that we control, we expect something we have unmet expectations. So who is he? So I want to create a little outline for you of those last uh, uh, nine verses that we have right there in chapter 4. I'm going to give you an outline based upon those verses. And, and you can just put 1 through 8 if you're taking notes tonight. The first, the first one would be, 1, we know that we dwell in God because of the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's your outline. I know that I dwell in God. Why? Because the person of the Holy Spirit tells me when I dwell in God. Now, folks, do you know when you're not walking in right relationship with him? You know it, don't you? And you know what? You know it before anybody else knows it. You know it, you know it when your, your, your thoughts aren't right. You know it when, you're, when you say something that's, that's contrary to him. 
You, you, you know it when your relationships aren't the way they need to be. You know it on the inside. Why? Because the person of the Holy Spirit will tell you right away. There's not going to be any comfort. There's not going to be any peace. There, there's not going to be any satisfaction. And you can smile. You can go to church. You can sing a song. You can amen. You can drop money in the plate. You can do all of that things. But the Holy Spirit is the one that's inside of us that causes us to know whether we're in relationship with Him. Here's the second thing. The indwelling presence provides a witness that he is indeed the savior of the world. Now, we used to sing a song, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know what I know what he's done for me. Folks, I got news for you. He's inside of me. You don't know like I know. Now, I don't know like you know what he's done for you, but you don't know what he's done for me. I, 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 I couldn't explain it to you. I, I couldn't tell you. Words would not suffice to say what's inside of me. And so, folks, when, when, when he's the one that provides the witness that he's the savior of the world, when you know what he sets you free from, then there's a confidence that comes inside of you. Now, folks, here, here's the thing we think many times is we think we're, we, we know the word says we're much is forgiven, much is loved. Now, we think much is forgiven means that I was some diabolical drug dealer or I was shooting folks or, 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 or doing drugs or I was an alcoholic. Folks, no, no, don't have to be that. I got invited one time to go down into Miami to preach at an evangelism conference. Now, after I got there, I thought to myself, why on earth would they invite me to this conference? Now, I show up, and I think that I'm in, a, in an episode of Malibu's Most Wanted or something. I'm the keynote speaker of this thing that really went all day long, and so these folks are getting up there talking. Now, everybody that spoke in advance of me was the top drug dealer in Miami. I kept thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of top drug dealers in Miami. Or everybody, you know what? I used to do drive-bys, and I was thinking to myself, why aren't any of these people in the penitentiary? They've been killing all these folks for all this time. I was the scariest man. I mean, everybody had this testimony, and every time that they said something, everybody's, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And so it come time for me, and man, you know what? You know what I'm going to say? You know, me and my older brother kind of got in a fight one day. <laughs> he woke me, but... <laughs> But I was—I got work better than anybody that day. Uh, I, I was—I wasn't. No, you weren't on a game. You were on the, the your senior your varsity cheerleading team, so they don't count either. Uh, and so I get up there and I said exactly what I said to you. I said, "Man, this is kind of wild." I said, "I feel like I'm in an episode of Malibu's Most Wanted. Everybody is hard to live in the boo." And they kind of looked at me. I said, "Folks, listen. I've never shot anybody. I've never." Been in a, in a gang. I've never even sampled drugs. I've, I've never done any of those things. So I hope that doesn't that disqualify me from, 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 from preaching and teaching to all you hardcore people. But I can tell you what I did do. I came to the end of myself and I found Jesus at the foot of the cross of Calvary. And regardless of how good I was or how bad I was, and I found a Savior that didn't just change what I did on a Sunday or, or allow me to repeat some old, some old sorry testimony of what I once was, amen. But he set my feet upon solid ground. He said, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Now, if that's enough for you, I don't got some nine millimeter Glock tucked, tucked into my sagging britches and I'm not wearing some skater shoes and, and, and trying to relive my life as an 18 year old. Now, I, I know who Jesus is. I know in whom I have believed. I, I can tell you a little bit about that type of life. Well, we, we went ahead at church because, you know, it wasn't about who I was. It's about who he was and Amen. who he saves. And so Amen. where much is forgiven, it doesn't matter what that forgiveness looked like or how you define sin. I was just as wrong, lost and dead 
and thinking, is anybody else? But just because I didn't have the headline grabbing sins, it didn't make any difference. Here's the third thing. A person truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit will know who Jesus really is. A person truly indwelt of the Holy Spirit will know who Jesus really is. Folks, why do I say really is? Well, there's a lot of people that acknowledge Jesus. We see it on the streets all the time, don't we? Well, I believe in Jesus. You know, I acknowledge him. The, 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 the Muslims will acknowledge him as a great prophet. You know, the, the, the Mormons will acknowledge him as a, as a created God, the former brother of, of Lucifer. They'll, they'll all acknowledge who he is, but when the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, you know exactly who Jesus is. And you know what? You don't have to have any archaeological proof either. You don't have to have some 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 some, some writing from some lost uh, uh, Gnostic gospel. You don't have to have any of that. And so when they say prove it, and you say, well, I, I prove it because he dwells inside of me. Well, that's not proof. You got to show me something. Well, I always ask them, well, do you have a brain? Well, sure, I have a brain. Well, I don't believe you. Well, why? Show me your brain. Because right now you're not acting like you have one. Have you ever seen your brain? Well, I've seen a brain. But have you ever seen your brain? I've seen a picture of a brain. Have you seen a picture of your brain? How do you know it's really a, a picture? How do you know it's not Photoshop? Well, I don't know. But you're just convinced. Why? Because you've seen the effects of it on your life. Folks, the Spirit of God inside of me tells me exactly who he is. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is that who the Jesus inside of you is, is confirmed by the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit tell you that he's a healer? Does the, the Holy Spirit inside of you tell you that Jesus is still a restorer of, 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 of falling down walls? Does, does the Jesus, the Spirit of God inside of you tell you that, that Jesus is, is the victor? Is that what he's telling you? Because if the Spirit truly is inside of you, he's going to tell you who the Bible says he is. The next thing, the Holy Spirit will enable us to know and demonstrate genuine love. He will enable you to demonstrate genuine love. Now, folks, here's the thing. Many of you folks growing up, now, you didn't get love at home. You didn't. Maybe you got provided for. Maybe you had a mama and daddy or somebody else that, that, that always, you know, uh, took care of you, provided a, 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 a roof over your head. But never did you have the thing where maybe a dad gathered you up in his arms and he looked you in the face. He said, I'm so proud of you. I just love you. That regardless of what you did or, or where you came from, he just gathered you up and he, he just always felt like you're worth a million dollars when, when mom and dad came home. And you know what happens, folks? That translates into your, your the way that you see God many times. Now, me, I was fortunate. Now, my dad, for most of my life, wasn't even saved. But for for myself and my three older brothers and my, my, my sister, it was always sweetie and sugar and darling and kissing you on the face. And you never you, you never had to wonder, I wonder if dad loves me. Well, after you wiped the spit off your face a few times, you realize Dad really did love you. He'd do whatever he could for you. He worked all the time. And he, like I said, he, he for, for many years, he, he, he wasn't saved. He, he, he drank a lot and all those things. But you never felt unloved. And so I didn't have to overcome that paradigm, that way of thinking. But many people have. And so but when, when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, it'll enable you to see love and to experience love the real way. And what's the love? No greater love than this. Than a man that's willing to lay down his life for his friends. Now, folks, before I came to Christ, you know who I looked out for? Me. Now, I could dress it up and make it look like it wasn't that. But at the end of the day, before we come to Christ Jesus, you know who we're looking out for? We're looking out for numero uno. 
But when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, you think of yourself, man, there's other people more important. Now, folks, I can't imagine if, if some of you when, you, when you, when you got married, you got married and you weren't saved. Man, that's a tall order. It's, it's tough enough being married when you are saved. Can somebody say amen? Why? Because unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. That build it. Lucy Krogan back there talking about, yeah, they were unsaved, and she tried to put a hit out on her. I'll have to tell you that story sometime. Praise God they got saved before he got shot. Amen. True story. But folks, unless he builds the house and the Spirit of God enables us to love, we can't. So God gives us that the demonstration, even in that type of relationship, he enables us to love even when it doesn't seem like they're lovely. And also the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk as Jesus walked now. Think about that. He allows us to walk like Jesus walked. Folks, you hear people say all the time, well, you're going to mess up. You're, we're only human. No, you're not. You're not. Mortality is picked up immortality. Death is, is, is given way to life. I'm not just human. Just human people aren't saved. Just human people, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and 10 that they're a child of the devil. This is how they're manifested. They don't do righteous things. But when I come to Christ, what happens? Something changes. Now, not everybody can see it, but it's written. Not everybody will admit it, but he said it. And so if Christ is in me, the Holy Spirit enables me to walk like he walked. I can walk in victory. I can walk in power. I can I, I can I can walk in righteousness. I can I, I can I, I can walk in love towards people that I shouldn't love. I can do that. But how do I do that? Well, it's Christ Jesus that's come into my life. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Why? Because the Spirit of God is inside of me. How many excuses did you see Jesus giving in the Word? And folks, when the Spirit of God dwells in us, you know what happens? We eliminate all those excuses. Well, Kelsey, the reason I'm not doing it is because you hurt my feelings. What have I done? When I have that attitude, I've deified somebody else. I said, if you have the power over the joy of the Lord in my life, I've made you higher than God. Oh, John 3, 16, but you said something wrong to me, man. You know what? I probably won't come back to church. Brother, I, I love you. But brother, I don't serve Jesus because of you. I didn't come to him because of you, and I will never leave him because of you. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to deify you and put you in a position, hire him. Uh, if, if, if none go with me, I'm still going to follow. Why? Because the Spirit of God is inside of me. And if anyone else abandons him, to whom else would I go? You have the words of life. There's no better deal. There's no plan B. There's not another option. How do I know that? Well, because the Spirit of God is inside of me. Here's the next thing. Number six. When you are indwelt of him, the terror of the unbeliever is replaced by the fear of the Lord. Now, he tells us there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, the fear that he's talking about there, same word used in two different tenses, that phobos means the terror. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Folks, do you have that perspective of God? God's going to get me? You know what? I never think that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of me. 
and he's not going to get himself. He's living inside of me because according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not looking to crush me because he would he wanted to crush me. He would have crushed me before I was his. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You don't walk after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Walk in cooperation with the Spirit. As long as I'm sitting there sweating, man, the Spirit of God's going to get me. He loves me. He's looking out for me. My hope is in Him. I have a, a victory. He's working things out of my life so He can work Himself into my life. And what do I trade that fear or the terror for? I trade it for the fear of the Lord. If you've ever got this definition from me, the fear of the Lord is defined in the book of Acts. Said fear came upon them all. It means the moral dread of being displeasing to God. There's something inside of me that says, Man, He loved me so much, Brother Lord. Why would I want to say or do anything that would hurt Him? Man, you know what? I could probably cop an attitude, but how would He feel about that? Now, I could probably cut a few corners here and nobody would probably even notice. But man, what about that one that's inside of me that comforts me? Every single day. Would I want to do that? Yeah, I could probably entertain that thought. Put a smile on and nobody would ever know I was entertaining that thought. But he would. Oh, yeah, I could have that unclean uh, idea or, or, or imagery in my head. But why would I want to have something so filthy in the presence of the living God? Because I love him. I have a, a moral dread. I don't want to say anything that would, that would harm him. I don't want to say anything towards him. It's kind of like. My, myself and that grandbaby of ours. I would never think to myself, I, I used to talk a big game. You know what? When I have grandkids, boy, if they get out of line, if they do this and that, boy, I'm going to I want to straighten them out. Can they get here and you look at their little face? Oh, I don't care. I know that thing costs $300, sweetie, but you go ahead and stomp it into the ground. Papas don't care. You know, <laughs> it changes everything. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because you see things in a different perspective and you put value on things that need to be valued and other things that really don't have any value. Boy, they're so small compared to that. Also, the seventh thing, the Holy Spirit is the enabler for us to love God. We love Him because He first loved us. He's the enabler that allows me to love Him. Folks, before the Spirit of God came inside of us, we were called enemies of the cross. That's what we were. We were enemies of the cross. We were destitute. We were, uh, uh, we, were, uh, we were contrary to him. Our thoughts were wrong. Our actions were wrong. Everything about us was, was totally on the other side of where God wants us to be. When the Spirit of God comes inside of us, now we can love him. We can love the God, the creator of the universe, because the Spirit of God is inside of us. In verse number eight, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in the heart of the bitter and the unforgiving. If I say I love God, who I've not seen, but I hate my brother, who I have seen, what does he say? I'm a liar. And so I know by the Spirit of God that if I'm bitter or I'm unforgiving, the Spirit of God is not going to dwell there. And so I've got to let all that malice, I've got to let all those that bitterness, I've got to let all that stuff depart from me. Why? Because if I don't, what does the Scripture say about that bitterness and envy? With it, there's every other type of evil work. And if I allow it into my life, it says it will defile many people. And so if I want the person of the Holy Spirit operating into my life, that's what it is. So here John is. We're looking at this, this, this John that was, that was dealing with this church. that got infiltrated by a group of people that supposedly had this fresh revelation. 
these Gnostics. They had, a, they had a new knowledge. They had something else. And what it did, it, it put the focus upon the flesh. And John shows up, and all this stuff we've been looking at, he brings it to this point right here at the end of chapter 4. He's like, guys, all this hard stuff that I'm talking to you about, every bit of that stuff that you're going to have the realization for is because of the Holy Spirit. That, that same spirit that I wrote about right there in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, I told you that it, it's expedient, that Jesus said it's expedient, it's necessary that he should go. Because unless he goes, he can't send another comforter. He can't send the one that's going to change the way you think unless I go away. But he's not just going to be with you. He's not just going to influence you, but he's going to be inside of you. But can I ask you an honest question? How many of you have ever been bound by Nicotine. Anybody here ever smoked? I, I hear smoking. I, I, I never smoked. My whole family smoked. I mean, my, my family were professional smokers. Okay? I mean, really, they were they were professional smokers. I remember many years ago, we get, you, you, Marlboro would run these things where you could get, like, free stuff by saving up packages. Cigarettes. Right. You remember that? Yep. I mean, you get kind of cool stuff. The problem was everything had their logo on it. You get a nice ski jacket, Marlboro. You could get these tote bags, Marlboro. You could get a camping set, Marlboro. And so my family were professional smokers. So that year for Christmas, everybody got Marlboro gifts. <laughs> and so they had to do a lot of smoking to outfit everybody and all this stuff. And so you get it, you think, well, that's kind of nice, but I don't smoke. Well, just put something over it or scratch it out. They need, because professional smokers, they don't even see that. They just see the jacket. It's all this fits in. So it, it's that. So. But let me ask you about this. Has, has anybody that that was bound by that, after you got saved, anybody still kind of struggle with that? Anybody? But you ever notice this? How many times did you come in and sit down in church and light one up? Never. Never did, did you? Why do you think that was? Why don't why didn't you feel comfortable lighting up in the middle of a congregation? Respect. Why? Because you identified the Spirit of God in that place, but you didn't identify him out there. See, you thought he was still just with you, but you didn't realize that he was in you. And so the same person that would subject him to that on the way to church and spray all that cologne on yourself on the way in, you forgot that that was the same guy. The same one that spoke to you and dealt with you and you worshipped in here because you recognized that he was in you is that same one that's out there. And so John shows up on the scene and he says, listen guys, I'm going to tell you something. These people are trying to tell you something. They tell you the Spirit of God is, is, is just in certain environments or in certain circumstances. You can't have victory. He's inside of you. So all of these these eight things that he gives us here, talking about he dwells, we can love, and, and we can be his witness, and we can demonstrate who he is, and we can love people, and we don't have to be bound by fear, and we can be we can have the fear of the Lord, and he can enable us to, to love other people and to love uh, uh, to, to love God and to be forgiving. It's because the Spirit of God is inside of you that this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in who he said he was. Yeah. And you know who enables us to believe who Jesus said he was? It's the Holy Spirit. And so if I believe who the, the, the Spirit tells me he is, 
I know that I have victory over those things. I know I have victory over unforgiveness. I, I know I have victory over sexual immorality. I have victory over bitterness that I might have towards my, my, my spouse. I have victory over a disappointment that I might have had on a job site. I have victory over that, that struggle or, or that sin or that, that iniquity that I've allowed into my life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is inside of me bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And like my brother said, man, I've got respect. I'm in awe. I have honor of who he is. Now, I, I, I may have shared in this class a few, uh, few months, I was going to say a few weeks ago, probably a few months ago, we're on, what, 33? But I, I was talking about when I was pastoring in Texas, and, and one night, I was, it was late at night on a Saturday night, just, just preparing my heart for the next day, and I'm like, Lord, I just need to, I want to feel your presence, Lord God, I just need you to be here. And I was in this, this old drafty church at 713 North Johnson Street, right there on the bad side of town where I grew up on. And I'm there, and the, the lights were out in the sanctuary. Why? Because I'm thinking, you know what? The, the Holy Spirit likes the lights out. <laughs> he likes the right music playing in the background. He likes the lights dim. And so the only lights in the building that night were that, that, the, 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 the lights of that old baby blue painted uh, baptistry in the back with a dove fly. Come on. Every old church thought that was the way to get the spirit in there. Paint a dove on the wall, and, the, and just have to. And so I was in there, and I, I was sincere, and I was I was over there on the pew, just praying for the spirit of God to show up, and He did. Now I tell you what, I didn't start dancing around and get all happy. The fear of the Lord came upon me, and I ran for my life. <laughs> was it because I was in sin? No, I wasn't in sin. I was serving Jesus, preaching the gospel. Loving God, all those things. But I said to myself, you know what? I, I, I want I want to experience you unveiled, uncut. Folks, that's when you find out where the rubber meets the road. That's when you find out, had it not been for the blood of Jesus, had it not been for the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen, he, he the Spirit of God doesn't come into our life for some parlor game. You hear me? He didn't come so we can have the three ring circus and Barnum and Bailey's uh, church time. He came to change the way that we think, change our perspective. He came not to prepare us just for a moment, but he came to prepare us to be in the presence of God for eternity. You hear me? He came to give us a different perspective on things, to see things from the vantage point of heaven rather than from the vantage point of earth. He came us to see, to restore what the first Adam abandoned was sin. That's what he came for. He came not just to be with us, but to be inside of us. Why? Folks, it's kind of like if you're in a car and the car plunges in the water with the windows up. What do they always tell you? Take something to break the glass. Why? To do what? Because why? You can't get out because of what? The pressure. It's an unbalanced pressure because there's not enough pressure on the inside to equal the pressure on the outside, right? And so you have to open it up to allow the flow to come out to regulate the pressure. Folks, that's what the Holy Spirit done. He wasn't just on the outside putting that pressure. John came and he told him that, guys, listen, you got to change the way you think. The reason that you're so wicked is because you're wilting under the pressure of the law. And the natural man is not subject to the things of the law. Neither indeed can he be. Romans chapter 8. He can't do it. It's impossible. And so what's happening, the pressure of the law, the pressure of trying to measure up to that one that was on the outside, the law of sin and death, 
you were crumbling under it. And so when the Messiah shows up, you're so blinded. Why? Because the weight has stopped you focusing on heaven, and you're now you're focused upon the arm of the flesh and what you can do and the hoops that you can uh, drip, uh, jump through and the way that you can act and all these codes and all these standards that you don't have the power to do in reality, but you can do it in the natural. So the Spirit of God is coming. It says in Acts chapter 2, and it says, when they were together in one place, it said, suddenly there came a sound out of heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Somebody came in the person of the Holy Spirit to regulate that pressure. And so the pressure an unbelieving world feels on the outside, and they wilt under the pressure, so they have to say there is no God. He's not real. The, 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 the fossil evidence says something different, or science says this. They wilt under the pressure, and only a fool says in his heart that there is no God. They become foolish in their, their actions and their believing. And suddenly the Spirit of God came. It says, like cloven tongues of fire is set upon each of them. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. They were glorifying God. The pressure got regulated. It says they went out and began to preach. And that same day when Peter stood up, 3,000 people were added to the church. That day, it says the Lord added to the church daily. As many as were being saved. Folks, that's what John is saying right here in the tail end of these last nine verses. He's saying, listen, folks, I'm telling you, I've been teaching you some things, is what he said. They're putting you under a lot of pressure. The scrutiny, we talked about judging those things. Scrutinize yourself. Test yourself whether or not you're in the faith. Examine yourself. And he's saying, listen, I know that's hard. I know that's a high standard. I know that's, that's tough, what he requires of you. But have you forgotten? He's the one that came into your life. To relieve all that. He's the one that regulated that. So it's not just the pressure from the outside. It's the opportunity and the power from the inside out. It's coming to your life. Folks, if you've had a problem walking in forgiveness or loving your brother, you know what it is? You don't have enough of what it takes on the inside. You don't. So if you've had bitterness, what you've said to yourself is you've let something deregulate the pressure. You've allowed what's outside to be bigger than what's on the inside. If you haven't been able to follow after God and, and, and walk in righteousness, what you've allowed the, to happen is those things on the outside, the temptations, the selfish ambitions, the, the pride, the jealousy, let's just call it stuff everyone, what it is, you've allowed it to be deified and be bigger than God. Now, if you've allowed broken relationships or what somebody else did or how somebody else disappointed you, what you did is you've elevated someone else to the God perspective in your life and you humanize God to the level and you say, well, he's just so small, he's just got to understand. Well, folks, the Holy Spirit came <laughs> is what he's saying right here in these nine verses to regulate that, to make you more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. That's who he is. That's who he desires to be. That is the victory that we have through the person of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. Folks, that's how we can say no to sin. That's how we can say yes to righteousness. That's how we can love the unlovely. That's how we can forgive the unforgivable. That's how we can have a hope. That's how we can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. Why? Because we've allowed the strength to come in the inside rather than just the outside. That's why we can come into church and act a lot different 
than how we acted on our way to church. You hear me? We can shout and say hallelujah, and on the outside, we're something else. Why? Because we're out of balance. We're under pressure. Folks, John said, listen, he just wants to come in and be real to you all the time on the inside. You can't dress him up, put a suit on him, and say he's a follower of Christ. Why? Because he that's on the outside wants to be on the inside. Amen. That's what he's telling us right here. Simply, simply put, I love. Why? Because he loved me. I forgive because he forgave me. I don't walk in the fear of sin. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen. Just pray. Father, we